Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Beautifully Complicated Podcast. I'm your host, Sheena, and I am excited that you are tuning into the show today. In the What's Happening Now segment, I'm discussing three areas of focus to help improve the lives of the Black community, from the stats to solutions. In the self-care segment, I decided to give some insight into why I have adopted a whole foods plant-based diet and bust some myths on the diet. Finally, in Black Excellence, in the spirit of Black History Month, I want to highlight the men and women of the Greenwood community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, a.k.a. Black Wall Street. No friend host this week, so grab your tea and let's talk. Segment one, what's happening now? Black Panther countdown begins for the culture. It comes out February 15th, and honestly, we're not even ready for this. The images that came out of the Hollywood premiere were nothing short of beautiful. The entire request was, get this, African royalty. Everybody pulled out all of the stops and came dressed to the nines in their best African regalia. My heart literally stopped. Just beautiful. I'm pretty excited about this movie. I purchased my tickets the day they went on sale in January and have been waiting impatiently to sit in the theater and experience it for myself to see Wakanda and Chala and his kingdom doing what they do best as a technologically advanced warrior nation. I just can't even Seriously, I almost want to make this episode just an homage to Black Panther because it's the superhero movie that so many of us have been waiting for. I can't wait to see it next week and report back on its dopeness. I need to figure out what I'm going to wear. Obviously, something inspired by the African mainland. Stay tuned. I'm going to do a special recording next week just for Black Panther. It's Black History Month. Well, to be honest, we celebrate Black history, Black excellence, Black girl magic, and Black boy joy year-round here. We're dope. Black people are dope. 
There, I said it. I'm excited about what has been happening within the Black community and hope that we're able to work as the African diaspora to uplift and empower all of us across nations. We are intelligent, creative, great communicators. We can improve the lives of our communities across the diaspora if we work together and use innovative tools and methods. I want to chat on this episode on community building and tackling some of the issues that plague the Black community, as well as highlight some of the initiatives that are underway to improve lives and uplift. One thing y'all should know about me, I truly don't believe in presenting problems without offering up or brainstorming possible solutions. Laying out the issues is one thing. Presenting ideas to improve and turn around those issues is where the substance is. Black History Month was made a thing thanks to the late, great Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Launching a Negro History Week in 1926, Woodson desired the time to be used to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history, end quote. His thoughts were that the history and culture of the African people in America was was being ignored. He saw a problem. He came up with a solution. The students of Kent State University took his Negro History Week solution, which was the second week of February, and made it into Black History Month on February 1st, 1970. By 1976, it became a nationally recognized month. Why am I telling this quick snippet of history? Because Woodson saw a problem. Instead of complaining about it and doing nothing, he drummed up a solution. From there, someone else took his solution and innovated on it, making it even more grand. That's how things should work to improve the lives, not just of our people, but of all people. Unfortunately, we're living in a political time where our federal government and some of our state and local governments are struggling with the solution part of the process. They are all focused on problems and blaming the other side for not offering up a viable solution. I'll say this, the Democratic Party are much better at offering up solutions than the Republican Party, but I digress. My focus on this episode on this segment is to look at a few problems that are plaguing the African-American community and try to highlight a few solutions and how we can overcome the problems that we have in front of us. I'm a strategist by design. It's my thing. It's true to who I am. I am always looking at how you can reach a goal or solution by way of creating a process and plan to get there. There are many people who are working in various spaces to determine what paths need to be taken to improve the lives of people that are underserved and marginalized. Strategies that are focused in on dealing with the true cause of the problem, as well as offering up a plan to overcome. So I want to highlight three key areas that are pain points for the African-American community and just some solutions that may help us improve the lives of the people in our community and some groups who are working on those areas. The first thing I want to talk about is our financial standing in the country and discuss it by way of both wealth inequality and income inequality. So we may ask, 
what are these two things? They are very different, but they do have a greater connection to one another. Per Wikipedia, wealth inequality is, quote, the unequal distribution of assets among residents of the United States. Wealth includes the values of homes, automobiles, personal valuables, businesses, savings, and investments, end quote. To give some numbers around what we are looking at here, in 2016, uh, the Pew Research Center had posted that the median wealth of white households was about $171,000, and the median wealth of black households was about $17,100. That's a 10-fold difference. What contributed to this? There was a drop, of course, after the Great Recession in home ownership due to the housing market bubble bursting and many Black families losing their homes. A house is factored into your wealth. Now, home ownership is something that not many Black families have had the opportunity to get to, and we definitely don't have many homes that were passed down due to the many racialized laws and social ideals that prevented home ownership for Black people in many communities. I've been slowly working through a book called The, Qu the Color of Law by Richard Rothstein that highlights how the housing policies of the 20th century shut out Black people and contributed to not only the racial divide, but also the lack of resources and opportunities for African-American communities. It's a great read and I highly, highly, highly recommend it. That's The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. The question becomes, how do we tackle wealth gap for the African-American community? There are many things one can look at. The most obvious would be building businesses within our own communities, working on home ownership, and creating programs with banks that help individuals get better access to loans and financial empowerment classes to aid our families in learning how to manage their finances and leverage what they have to go beyond paycheck to paycheck living. One of the biggest barriers here that we have is, of course, income inequality. So income inequality is just as bad in the racial breakdown as well as the class breakdown. Overall, in the United States, the top 10% of earners make on average nine times more than the bottom 90%, according to a study by UC Berkeley. The 1990s saw the expansion of the divide with top earners' income exploding in growth with a continued growth over the 20 plus year period. Wages, however, have been stagnant since the 1970s with a very low growth rate. The bottom 90% has seen very little growth in their wages, approximately 21% growth since 1975, whereas the top 10% has seen a growth of over 250% in that same time period. Lower income Americans have seen less growth over the years in their take home pay. What, what we need to see are jobs that pay a living wage and those that offer better pay for the work being done by employees. We should see wage growth align with experience and education level across the races. Instead, we are seeing white Americans making many times more than other groups. For this conversation, Black Americans by more than $40,000 at the same education level. Companies now are sitting on 
more money than they ever have, yet they are not distributing that wealth to their employees by giving them a wage that is indicative of their job, the economy, education, or experience levels. A possible solution here is to focus in on pushing organizations to increase wages by way, of course, of a national minimum wage. Ensure pay inequality is addressed by requiring equal pay for same education and experience level of the same job. There is no reason for a white man with no college degree to make significantly more than a black man with a bachelor's degree, even with the same experience level. We need more work done around income inequality, which contributes to wealth inequality. And a good start, again, would be a national minimum wage, as well as looking at what our pay rates are based off of experience, education, and job title. As we continue to see more technological innovations, we will find a lot of our uh, low experience service jobs being taken over by tech, thus cutting them out of the job market. That will only continue to expand in other areas. It is important that our federal government also start looking into a model of universal basic income. Increased unemployment numbers are on the horizon, and we need to get in front of it by instituting a universal basic income. It's something that is starting to pop up in other uh, first world countries. This is a socialized government income that is given without condition to help ensure people are able to survive economic downturns, preventing homelessness, hunger, and the like. Having universal basic income coupled with job trainings for higher skilled jobs can help those most impacted by technological advancements, which will largely impact the Black community, help those people be more sustained and prepped for better jobs. Speaking of job training, let's talk about my second focus area, education. Education is important for the overall success of our kids. America has always had an education system that kept Black kids out of opportunity. The schools were often and still are underfunded, understaffed, with less than stellar books and tools. The courses provided are always the bare minimum, with little attention paid to where the job market is going or entrepreneurship. Our schools are often giving the older textbooks or less challenging, uh, the substandard science labs, no basic no technology-based curriculum, and are often stripped of the arts. Funding is based on test scores and attendance. Teachers are underpaid in these districts often. Students are not given the tools they need for advanced education, often not because of the teachers, but because of the curriculum focused on, on or around testing instead of reasoning and analytical skills. The U.S. education system overall has been falling behind since the 1970s, kind of like that wage stagnation. We have an education system that is based on students moving into manufacturing jobs after graduation instead of higher education or more technology-based or high-skill service jobs. And we all know that manufacturing jobs have left our nation for the most part and is not coming back. That's a fallacy of the system that we're focusing our education around manufacturing jobs. We're taught to memorize instead of critically think and analyze. This is especially true in the underfunded schools filled with black and brown students. So much work is needed here. 
Aside from a complete overhaul of the U.S. education system, breaking away from standardized testing and memorization to advance thinking and analytics is a start. But Black schools also need more focus around technology and science as well as entrepreneurship. In the interim, community programs that have these programs built into them, such as robotics, programming, entrepreneurship training, they could be very helpful, not only for our kids, but also for our adults. By focusing in on the true talents and expanding the abilities of our students, we can help them move into careers that are more lucrative and help build better, stronger communities. Mentorship could also be beneficial with those who have made it in various industries, partnering with the communities to mentor students or help assist with training programs. Our children also need mental health services to be provided, taught how to deal with emotions, meditation introduced to help calm them, better nutrition in schools. The list literally goes on. There are a lot of things that need to be done in the education realm to give black and brown kids a better opportunity. Aside from income and wealth inequality in education, we also need some serious, serious change in the criminal justice system. Our communities are the hardest hit when it comes to the school to prison pipeline, drug convictions and things of that nature. Ridiculous sentencing has put a lot of the men in our community away for a very long time for small time drug offenses. The war on drugs of the 1980s was literally the war on inner city poor black people. It literally moved hundreds of thousands to millions of men and women into the prison population. Mass incarceration flourished under Clinton in the 90s, causing a more expansive increase in the prison population. People who were victims of circumstance and poverty who used other avenues to try to make money have found themselves the target of the federal government for drug crimes. People with addictions were criminalized instead of treated as patients with an illness. Criminal justice has been nowhere near justice in the Black community. With a felony conviction, Black men and women are locked out of job opportunities as well as government programs. They have very little that they are able to do to assimilate back into society as full citizens. The school to prison pipeline has been especially heinous, with truancy being directly correlated with the likelihood of a student to wind up arrested for some offense. The metal detectors and police presence in schools have made them into many prisons of sorts. From there, we have those entering the prison system's not given an opportunity to reassimilate into a society once they are out. We give them little to no assistance with plenty of mandates on them. Our system is set up for them to re-enter prison instead of re-enter society successfully. So what do we need to see happen with criminal justice reform? Well, we need lower prison sentences. The felony box needs to be removed from job applications. Government assistance should be reinstated to a person once they are released. They should be given full citizenships with all rights back. Job trainings and educational programs for communities to prevent criminal acts. There needs to be more jobs in the communities. Better police community relations with police actually servicing the community instead of terrorizing the community. There are a lot of things we can do to get 
to improve uh, criminal justice and how it relates to our communities. It would be nice to get to a point where we have a very low to no prison population in advanced communities instead. So to improve the lives of the black community, we need to look at income and wealth inequality, education inequality, and the criminal justice system. I provided a few solutions by way of different programs and actions to begin the process of turning things around. Once each community, Black, Latino, Asian, Native American, white, etc., are given the tools they need to succeed, we can see our nation become greater and the world at large when those programs are instituted globally. I've been working on a document outlining some of the things I think I can um, I think can help with different areas of struggle for the Black community. I'll share some of those things from it on the Beautifully Complicated Facebook page. But I want, I want you guys to continue this conversation and share some ideas you have or organizations you know that are doing great work for the Black community. There are so many of them out there. I didn't even want to bring them up because there are just too many to name. I'll probably um, link some to the Facebook page. But we want them to continue doing their work. We want to uplift them and empower them so we all can get free. Segment two, self-care. Over the past several months, I've gotten a lot of questions from people about my whole foods, plant-based diet, vegan diet, Um, how I came about adopting it, what it is, and how do I know I'm getting enough nutrients. So I'm going to share a bit about the lifestyle and hopefully impart some knowledge and encourage those of you who may be on the fence on adopting a plant-based diet, kind of help you guys out a little bit. So I want to start off by making a clarification about veganism. Veganism is a lifestyle, a total lifestyle. It basically means that you have no part in any animal products at all in any area of your life. No leather, fur, animal-based foods, honey, gelatin. You always have cruelty-free products such as makeup, soaps, nothing that's tested on animals, all of that. Veganism encompasses everything that surrounds you. There is a misnomer that assigns it to the diet, but leaves off the complete lifestyle aspect of it. There are those that have a whole foods plant-based diet who aren't necessarily vegan. That means they eat foods that have no animal products or byproducts in it, but may still wear leather or fur. I see myself as more so a person who is on the vegan path. I have a lot of leather in my shoe. I have a lot of leather shoes and handbag collection, but that I've not quite yet gotten rid of, but I'm not buying any new items that are leather. Therefore, when I'm talking to someone, I'd rather say I have a whole foods plant-based diet since I can't completely call myself a vegan in regards to my lifestyle. It hasn't completely changed over yet. Now, because veganism is mainstream in regards to the diet, it is easier to say I'm a vegan to someone than a whole foods plant-based diet. Not to mention, so many people think of the store when you say whole foods plant-based diet and quite can't quite make the connection that you're talking about food just as it came out of the ground unprocessed at all. So for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to refer to my whole foods plant-based diet as my vegan diet. So I adopted the vegan diet about a year and a half ago. 
I had been slowly changing my diet prior to this change. So about five years ago, I took pork out of my diet and I limited my beef drastically. Then about two years ago, I let beef go completely. Uh, Then I let poultry go and was down to just uh, seafood and dairy. I ended those about a year and a half ago, officially adopting a vegan diet. I made the switch for health reasons. I have had, per diagnosis, high blood pressure since I was a preteen. I was officially diagnosed at the young age of 11. Being medicated officially at the age of 24, I understood that it was necessary for me to be on it for the remainder of my life in order to sustain a normal blood pressure. Fast forward to 2016. I had had enough. I was completely tired, constantly tired, lethargic, short of breath when exercising. I would start to feel sick when I was eating some foods. I just felt really blah. Now, full disclosure, I am a complete nerd and absolutely adore documentaries. So I had watched Forks Over Knives about a year prior and thought about the health aspects of adopting more plants into my diet. So I did a little research and began watching some other documentaries. I made the decision to start my transition to veganism, as, um, and it kind of was solidified after I watched What the Health that came out in about April of last year. Since making the switch, I made sure to uh, create a community around me of people who are on the same journey. I began following plenty of vegans on Instagram, vegan pages on Facebook, subscribing to vegan channels on YouTube, buying books and cookbooks. One thing I am certain of is any drastic change in lifestyle requires a support system or communities to sustain. I have talked to plenty of people who tried it for a short period of time, but ended up leaving it because they were tired all the time or didn't feel like they were getting adequate nutrients. I can honestly debunk all of those claims based on my own testimony and understanding that it requires that you still eat enough calories throughout the day and a diverse diet. People that stick to junk foods and their veganism won't last. People that can't see food beyond meat and dairy won't survive. It takes effort to break the paradigm within you and begin to see that plants are food. Once you begin to see that, you can begin to learn how to satiate yourself and enjoy every single bite. So let's get down to business. Number one, what is veganism or a whole foods plant-based diet? So basically it's a diet free of any animals or animal byproducts, no meat, no dairy, no eggs, plain and simple. There are so many real foods that you can still eat instead. Fruits, vegetables, legumes, beans, nuts, grain, etc. There are just so many other options. Number two, how do you get your protein? This is probably the most asked question of anyone who adopts the lifestyle and it's the most annoying one. Protein is derived from plants. A big chunk of food has some level of protein in it. As a vegan, we often get the largest portion of protein from beans, nuts, and grains, as well as some vegetables, and even some fruit have some protein in it. I can and do get the daily value of protein easily, every day, without issue. My breakfast alone can get me halfway there. I can get 25 uh, grams of protein in just one meal. 
Animal protein has been shown to be detrimental to the health of humans and create an environment within you that is ripe for disease creation, such as heart disease, diabetes, and cancers. All those can develop and thrive with the help of animal protein. Number three, you need milk and other dairy products for calcium. (sighs) Wrong. Another myth. Newsflash, you're not a baby cow. You do not need milk from a cow. Cow's milk is not made for humans. It is made to help accelerate development of a baby cow in a short period of time. So it is chock full of growth hormones. Cow's milk and dairy overall are not good for your health. There is a reason why we don't see the ads does a body good any longer. Dairy is not good for your body. We eat it because we're told it's good for us. But I'm here to tell you, Don't believe the hype. Most adults, something like I think 75%, are lactose intolerant. Basically, most people can't even adequately digest dairy. Yet, we shove it in our bodies. (sighs) Just a mess. Dairy also contributes to the growth of some cancers such as breast cancer and some autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis. So you don't really need dairy. Number four, why people state they can't go vegan. So my number four thing, it's expensive. No, it really isn't. Yes, produce can be pricey sometimes, but it's all about buying in season and shopping local vendors when you can. Visit your former's markets to get those fresh fruits and veggies at a lower price. All grains, beans, etc. are actually more bang for your buck. You get more servings at a lower price overall. Not to mention, meat and dairy are quite pricey with little nutritional value provided. I spend less on groceries now than I did before I made the switch, and I get more meals out of a shopping trip. My cupboard remains stocked, and it is easy to toss together a quick meal without breaking the bank. Again, best tip, shop local and or in season. Reason number five, I'm not getting enough nutrients and will be malnourished. That's the fifth thing that I usually hear. This is a ridiculous statement. Plants are the most nutritious foods on the planet. Animal flesh is not nutritious. It is lacking in most nutrients. You need the complexity of nutrients that accompany each bite of a fruit or a vegetable. Supplements and multivitamins can't do for you what a nutrient-rich food can. There is the perfect balance inside food that doesn't exist in man-made supplements or as a standalone product. You will not be malnourished if you adopt a whole foods plant-based diet. It's simple to do. Just keep up with your normal caloric intake of whole foods and you'll be just fine. You don't need to only eat salad. Please don't just eat salad. There are a ridiculous amount of foods you can still eat. Try it for yourself. I wholeheartedly support the recent uptick in people choosing to go vegan, especially in the black community. We've fallen victim and seen family members fall victim to a lot of the illnesses caused by the food we eat. In my family alone, I had my grandmother pass away at the age of 55 of a massive heart attack. She had been battling high blood pressure for well over 20 years, at least diagnosed for well over 20 years. I have seen family members have multiple heart attacks within their 20s and 30s and 40s. I have seen people with diabetes, with legs and feet being amputated in their 30s and 40s. There are so many cases within the Black community of people now just dying of massive heart attacks in their 20s. I mean, 
food is not helping the situation. We have already stressful lives within our communities. A lot of things coming up against us. And if our diet is also contributing to what is harming us, do we even stand a chance? So please, you know, that old idea of us eating all of these foods because it's what is indigenous to us. No, a lot of the foods we're eating were passed down through slavery. We have ancestry beyond slavery and the people of the African continent did not eat the foods that we're eating now. And so they eat more along the line of what uh, you would see in a whole foods plant-based diet. I mean, even if you're still eating meat, you don't have to eat it at the levels that you've been eating it. You can eat it in smaller quantities and incorporate more vegetables and fruit and grain into your food. I think it'd be very helpful and it really help us combat a lot of the issues we're seeing within our communities. Doctors often say they have no idea what causes a lot of the diseases that we see. Science has proven though time and time again that it is diet. It's difficult for folks to grasp that as truth because we like the way we live and we love the way we eat. We don't want to believe things are harming us. It's important that we start to rethink things and rally against the thought process of certain foods not hurting us. Okay, completely going vegan may not be something you can do just on a dime, but seriously, you can just cut back on your meat and dairy intake, take it a meal at a time, pay attention to how your body feels. That's something that I did. And that's when I really noticed like, okay, this thing really feels good because I don't feel sick. I don't feel bloated. I don't feel like nauseous after I eat food. I don't feel lethargic. Like, I really started paying attention. Like my joints aren't hurting. You know, I have more energy at the gym. I feel stronger when I'm working out. Pay attention to that stuff because it helps. You'll be shocked to know you'll feel a lot better once you cut out or cut back drastically on meat and dairy. Your life may depend on the food choice you make. So make a good one. Segment three, Black Excellence. All right, it's Black History Month. Although we highlight and celebrate dope Black people year-round here on Beautifully Complicated, in honor of the month, I want to highlight a group of Black people who are the epitome of Black excellence. And that's the wonderful men and women who built Black Wall Street in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The city was built by Black businesses and Black money. O.W. Gurley, a Black wealthy landowner, purchased 40 acres of land in Oklahoma. J.B. Stanford, a entrepreneur, came into town with the dream of Black people building their own communities with their own businesses and shopping their own shops. That dream became reality as the Black community grew and built businesses, hospitals, hotels, etc. and amassing wealth. The town boomed in the early 1900s before being burned down and people terrorized and murdered by the neighboring white communities who were jealous of the wealth of the black town of Greenwood. Very sad what happened to the people of Greenwood who understood that people can be, uh, that wealth can be amassed by black people when we work together and patronize each other's businesses. As a black business owner, it is something near and dear to me since I can see it from the inside of how difficult it is to get the black consumer to trust you and shop with you. I know we can do it and black businesses 
uh, will grow. More Black professionals are going to are going to pop up. All of our talents are owned by us from our artists owning their rights to our athletes owning their brands. We can do it. It's time we take some cues from the past and own again in a major way. It's very sad what happened to Greenwood, but they were on the right track. So let's take a page from their book and build many more Greenwoods across the nation and the African diaspora as a whole. Today we celebrate the men and women of Black Wall Street, Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, that's the show. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beautifully Complicated. It was chock full of heavy topics from wealth inequality to criminal justice and education reform to rethinking nutrition and learning from the past. There were some good tidbits in this episode that I hope expanded your thoughts on some things or piqued your interest. To continue this conversation, please follow the Beautifully Complicated Facebook page. I'll have the link in the show notes. You can also reach out to me, Sheena, your host on Instagram or Twitter. My handle on both platforms is Sheena D1. That's S-H-E-E-N-A, the letter D and the number one. And please like, subscribe, and share the podcast so you can have these conversations offline with friends and family. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Love and light, everyone. Till next time, remember that the best life is beautifully complicated. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.